0: Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. You're listening to The Jay Shapiro Show.
1: a strange holiday because it's celebrated differently here in Jerusalem. The holiday will be Thursday all around the Jewish world, and it will be Friday here in Israel because of historic reasons. At any rate, this week we saw the brutal Russia war in Ukraine going into its third week. And with the mass destruction, the Ukrainian injuries and high casualty count, Russia invaded, and it's now it's believed to have climbed to 2.8 million people, refugees, which has become Europe's fastest growing refugee crisis since World War II. The Jewish world has taken this into account, and we've been embraced by the secular Israeli public. It's a multi-day celebration. At the same time, the state of Israel has geared itself up to help people in Ukraine, both Jews and not Jews. And we have our people from Israel working tirelessly on the borders of Ukraine, aiding not only Israelis, but also other Ukrainian refugees as well. Now, throughout the country here, just about every organization, synagogues, community centers, and individuals have collected money for the refugees as well as food, clothing, and toys, and in some cases, the state of Israel is providing shelter. So there's the holiday is preceded by a fast day which is very sobering and tells us that we have a lot of responsibility not only to fellow Jews not only here in Israel but to all people around the world we are a people who have suffered for generations for centuries we know what suffering it is and we have learned to this to take responsibility not only for our own people, for anyone who is suffering. Thanks again for listening. Have a happy four. I'll be back with the break. Hello, I am Walter Bingham. If you want to hear the news behind the news and the true perspective on world affairs, then the Walter Bingham File is the program for you. We bring you interviews with the movers and shakers, political commentaries and on-the-spot reports of events as they happen. All here every Tuesday, 4 p.m. Israel time, 9 a.m. Eastern time. And it's all archived on our website. Make it a date.
0: You're listening to The Jay Shapiro Show.
1: You're back with Jay Shapiro. Before I uh, continue the program that I had prepared... I came across an item just before I started recording, and it was a note that I received from a friend of mine, and I want to share it with the listeners. Uh, She attended what's called a Sheva brachot. Sheva brachot are the prayers that are said every day for a week after the wedding, and this was a Sheva Berchot gathering in honor of the wedding of Binaya and Netta Dikstim. Binaya's parents, Yossi and Hannah, were murdered in a terrorist attack when he was seven years old. And the, one of the persons invited was Natan Sharansky, the famous prisoner of Zion who was arrested in Russia and sat in jail for a number of years because of his Zionist activities. Uh, My friend wrote to me, it's too bad that only those those in attendance heard Sharansky speak. And he said the following, which I want to share with the listeners. This is what Sharansky said. When I was growing up in Ukraine, in Donetsk, there were many nations and many nationalities. There were those with identity papers that read Russian, others said Ukrainian, others said Georgian, or others said Kozak. This was not so important since there was not much difference between them. The single designation that stood out was Jew. If that was written on your identity, it was as if you had a disease. We knew nothing about Judaism. There was nothing significant about our Jewish identity other than the anti-Semitism, hatred, and discriminatory treatment we experienced because of it. When it came to a university application, for example, no one tried to change his designation from Russian to Ukrainian because it simply did not matter. However, if you could change your designation of Jew, it substantially improved your chances of university admission. Now, and I'm quoting Sharansky, this week I was reminded of those days when I saw thousands of people standing at the borders of Ukraine trying to escape. They're standing there day and night, and there is only one word that helped them get out, Jew. If you are a Jew, there are Jews outside the border who care about you and are waiting for you. There is someone on the other side of the border who is searching for you? Your chances of leaving are excellent. The world has changed. When I was a child, Jew was an unfortunate designation. No one envied us. Identifying as Jew is a now is a most fortunate circumstance. It describes those who have a place to go where their family which is an entire nation, is waiting for them on the other side, unquote. That's Natan Sharansky speaking this week. And it, it really is an emotional thing, and it really is true. Today, to be a Jew and getting out of, the, of what's happened in Ukraine, you have a home and you have a place to go. So whether you're a Zionist or not, or whether you have different plans for the future of the state of Israel, the very fact that the state of Israel exists means you have some place to go. This was not true between 1939 and 1940 when no, no one took in the Jews. The Jews had no place to go, including the Western democracies. Now, the word Jew gets you out of Ukraine, and brings you to the Jewish homeland. That's an unbelievable change in fate and in history. And I I, uh, quoted it from Sharansky this week because I thought it has tremendous importance, and I'm sure it means something to the listeners. By the way, Sharansky was interviewed this week about the situation, the Ukrainian crisis, and uh, he said at the very beginning of the Russian invasion uh, several weeks ago, Sharansky said that Israel needed to speak out with, with clarity with the rest of the free world against the Russians. He was critical of our our government, which spoke of the tragedy in Ukraine as though it was being hit by a natural disaster, some kind of hurricane, rather than by an invasion army from Russia. He said that from the very start, this is not a fight between Russia and Ukraine about a piece of land. It's not even a fight about the future of Ukraine. It is rather an attempt to change all the principles on which the free world stands, to dismiss all the understandings and agreements that guarantee people that will not lose their freedom because at this moment their neighbor is stronger than they are. So while he is critical of our government for not taking a strong moral stand from the beginning, He, he, Sharansky, did not add his voice to those saying Israel did not sufficiently open its arms to accept refugees from Ukraine besides those Jews and their relatives eligible to immigrate to Israel under our law of return. Transky said that there are millions of refugees and we can participate in assisting, but we cannot open our doors for millions of them. We didn't do it for Africa and we can't do it for Ukraine. And he further said, I don't think we have to go from one extreme to the other, from saying it's not our war to the other, from saying that's not our war, not our business, we have problems with Syria, To the other extreme, it is our moral obligation to take in millions of refugees. Let's be practical. We can give a lot of assistance. We are giving some. We can probably give more. Calling the Russian invasion of Ukraine the greatest threat to the free world since World War II, Sharansky said that at such a moment, Israel cannot say we're good with both sides and be neutral. But he was asked, what about Syria? What about the argument that Israel cannot antagonize Russia because it holds the keys to the skies over Syria, which Israel needs access to in order to keep the Iranians from turning Syria into a forward base from which to attack the Jewish state? That is a very serious problem. Now, apparently, uh, Sharansky recognized the dilemma and acknowledges that this place is Israel, sort of a catch-22. But here, interestingly enough, he claims he puts the blame on the United States and Europeans for leaving Syria for the Russians and for not taking a strong enough stand against Iran and for making agreements with the Iranian regime That will give it billions of dollars, even when the West has taken away billions of dollars to the Russians, which the Iran can use to build bases and transfer weapons to Syria. So speaking of shoulds, Sharansky said that just as Israel should be standing more firmly with the free world against Russia, so too should the free world be standing more firmly with Israel against Iran and Iranian bases in Syria. We have to take care of our immediate national security needs, but at the same time not to lose sight of the unique struggle with evil in in which the world finds itself today. By the way, according to Sharansky, Putin's Crimea grab boosted his popularity because Crimea holds a very special place in Russian history. But this is not the case now with Ukraine. So there, he, according to uh, Sharansky, and it's interesting, he said there's no understanding in Russia itself of why this war is needed. Without a clear reason to explain suffering, Sharansky said it will be difficult for the population of Russia to be willing to put up with deprivations caused by sanctions. Besides, the Russians today are of a different generation than those who used to wait in long lines under the Soviets to enter supermarkets with empty shelves. This generation in Russia has become accustomed to to a different standard. What Putin does understand is that the sanctions are giving him limited time to achieve his ends. So, that is Sharansky's opinion about what's happening, and he's a man who really understands a lot of things about Russia, so I pass it on to the listeners for their consideration. We live in extremely difficult times, and we hope that our own government will know how to tread carefully. I'll be back after the break.
0: everyone. This is Andrea Simento from Jerusalem inviting you to drop everything and join me on my show, Pull Up a Chair. We'll visit this week's Quirky Stories, meet fabulous guests, and discover my Israel. Together, we'll laugh, shout, and explain the topics that make us say, hey, we've got to talk about that. So get comfortable and pull up a chair with me, Andrea Simento, every Thursday on Israel News Talk Radio. You're listening to the Jay Shapiro Show.
1: You're back with Jay Shapiro because the major item in the news is what's happening in the Ukraine. And Israel has come up with an interesting response that I'd like to publicize. Uh, At the beginning of the week, the cabinet in Jerusalem approved a wide-ranging plan to absorb as many as 100,000 new immigrants who are expected to arise from Ukraine and also from Russia. The budget for an Israeli field hospital is to be built in western Ukraine also received cabinet approval. Now, the world is facing very difficult and very destabling times, and our government, according to our prime minister, is managing this complex crisis sensitively sensitively responsibly and by trying to other help others as much as we can now the aid is offered to those immigrating to Israel under the law of return which allows anyone with at least one Jewish grandparent to become a citizen of the state of Israel. Now this, by the way, represents a problem because many of these people uh, who have one Jewish grandparent are not Jewish, according to halakha, according to uh, Jewish law, religious law. And people have been coming here under the this uh, allowance of one gr- one grandparent to come to israel and this has created by the way a tremendous complication because many of these people come here and they are not really Jewish according to Jewish law, and many of them, even though they become loyal Israeli citizens such as serving in the army. They refuse to convert officially and formally. Now, this has created really a a tremendous number of problems since they had a large immigration from uh, the Soviet Union 20 and 30 years ago. Uh, The children and the families are not interested in converting, and then you uh, develop an entire problem of intermarriage, and are uh, uh, various uh, rules have been set up to enable people to uh, uh, undergo conversion. But there are two, there are different uh, organizations handling their conversions, as uh, some that don't agree uh, agree with others, and it's turning out to be a mess. And now, obviously, it's going to become an even greater greater problem because of the expected influx of people from Ukraine and probably from Russia also who are simply not Jewish according to Jewish law. So on the one hand, we want to welcome these people to save them from the problems they're having in Ukraine. But, of course, we have, we have to look first to saving them and bringing them here and then resolving the problems that are created by their coming here. So it's a, I think it's a very interesting problem that relates only to the state of Israel. Other um, countries can accept people in without uh, approaching any questions dealing with their uh, religious status. We have to worry about the religious status also because of the problem of intermarriage and marrying later later here in Israel. So right now our government here in Israel has passed laws including aid for paying rent and renovating buildings owned by the construction and housing ministry so that immigrants can live in them and search for available housing for the short term, which includes using uh, Israeli army bases. And in addition, our government will work to increase the number of modular homes available and also to ease um, the settlement of these people. And uh, additionally, Uh, to uh, provide for the education for their children and so forth. All all the problems associated with a large number of new immigrants arriving in in a very short period of time. And uh, that's something that's happened to Israel in the past. So uh, one would think that we're ready for these things. And by and large, the government is indeed getting prepared and the government will also examine the needs of local governments here in Israel in fields of education and welfare and in towns that are absorbing immigrants. The By the way, when all of this was brought up in the Israeli uh, uh, cabinet earlier this week, there was something very controversial that happened. And uh, it more, more or less marred the uh, the discussion in the cabinet. For example, the Aliyah and integration minister accused her fellow ministers of hypocrisy. She said it's the hypocrisy of white people by taking the wave of Ukrainian immigration seriously but not needing the demand to immediately bring people who qualify under the law of return from Ethiopia The economy minister said that, um, accused the absorption minister of being a racist. And the interior minister, Ayelik Shachan, said that mayors want to host Ukrainian refugees. And in, in response, the finance minister, Liebman, said some of the mayors only wanted Ukrainian women. And then the transportation minister criticized. Lieberin, saying she hoped that such comments about women would never be made again. So it's interesting that in addition to helping those who qualify to immigrate under the law of return, they want to give humanitarian help to the citizens of Israel who are here temporarily, temporarily for a few weeks or months until the situation calms down. So at beginning of the week, Uh, They announced Israel's new policy, which permits anyone with a relative in Israel to temporarily seek refuge here. A separate quota will be established for Ukrainian refugees who do not have a relative in Israel. Also on Monday, the Israeli cabinet approved a $21 uh, shekel budget for a field hospital to be built in western Ukraine. The hospital will be equipped to serve 100 people per day and will include an emergency room, men's, women's, and pediatric care, a maternity ward, a medical laboratory, an x-ray area, and others. The Foreign and Health Ministry organized a hospital in cooperation with Shiva Medical Center in Tel Shomer, and additional funding. So it's interesting, uh, as our prime minister said, not many countries are able to take such initiative upon themselves. Israel has the ability, and we're doing so, which is important. The uh, By the way, our prime minister mentioned uh, this field hospital, And a phone call he had with Russian President Vladimir Putin on Monday, according to a news report. So here we have a major international conflict and a major need for health services. And Israel is doing as much as it can, and probably more than many other countries, to do something about this terrible situation. And um, I think we can be very proud of the action being taken by the Israeli government in this conflict, and uh, it's got pretty much bipartisan support here in Israel. And it's interesting, as I as I mentioned a few minutes ago, that uh, in the uh, in the cabinet meeting, some people took the opportunity to. Uh, Blast each other on personal little problems, like the uh, very act, uh, fact that one uh, minister said that they're being good to white people and they're not being Jews uh, good to people of other colors. It's sort of nasty. It's, a sh- it's a really a shame about politics in Israel. It can get quite nasty. But the bottom line is that when they see their Jews are in trouble around the world, they react in a way that we can be very proud of, despite all the nasty words among each other. That has to do with Israeli politics. And I've, I've said in the past that politics is run like uh, it was for 2,000 years in the uh, diaspora when the only thing that Jews controlled was local synagogues and local organizations. <laughs> and they got it very petty sometimes about what was happening in their communities. So much of the pettiness has unfortunately carried over into the, <laughs> into the fact that, that the Jews now have their own state. I find it r- rather amusing in a sense that the major experience has been in running synagogues for 2,000 years, and they run the Jewish state like a big synagogue, but they end up doing wonderful things for not only Jews but for other people also, I'll be back after the break. Shalom, I am Leah Haroni. Join me on my show, News from the Torah. Each Sunday,
0: we'll use the weekly Torah portion as a prism for understanding the news today. Listen to News from the Torah to gain clarity about the times we're living in and to understand your own spiritual path in the process. News from the Torah every Sunday on Israel News Talk Radio. You're listening to The Jay Shapiro Show.
1: We're back with Jay Shapiro. I don't use the word anti-Semitic lightly. You can disagree with the government of Israel's policy without being anti-Semitic. Obviously, you can disagree with a government's policies, any government. You could be a very loyal American citizen, and yet at the same time would. To disagree with certain policies of the American government. That's natural and it's understood and we're tolerant of it. But there is something that is very international and that is an organization called Amnesty Inter- International. Uh, Am- a- Last month Amnesty International released a report of more than 270 pages, entitled Israel's Apartheid Against Palestinians, Cruel System of Domination, and Crime Against Humanity. That is the title of this almost 300-page report. Uh, According to the Secretary General of Amnesty, I quote, We found that Israel's cruel policies of segregation, dispossession, and exclusion across all territories under its control clearly amount to apartheid. Uh, This was said by the Amnesty Secretary General, a woman named Alice Calamard, as she said it at a press conference in Jerusalem last month. The report was disingenuous, full of distortion and lies. It lacked content and manipulated to create a meaning for apartheid that could be applied to the state of Israel. In other words, it redefined apartheid in order to include Israel, suggesting it was somehow similar to apartheid era South in South Africa where blacks were fully segregated and had no rights at all. By relating to all Israel, the occupied Palestinian territory, which includes the West Bank or Judea and Samaria, as we call it, and Gaza, the report clearly referred to the pre-1948 boundaries. That's quite interesting. The... uh, they, this Calamard said, we recognize the existence of this Jewish state of Israel, we oppose and denounce anti-Semitism and anti-Semitic acts the world over. However, it's now clearer than ever that the goal of Amnesty International's report is the exact opposite of recognizing the right of state of Israel to exist as the world's only Jewish state. A story a story was first published by the Jewish Telegraphic Agency, and uh, Amnesty's American director, someone named Paul O'Brien, was quoted as saying during a talk to a Women's National Democratic Club audience that the bulk of American Jews do not want Israel to be a sh- Jewish state, but rather a safe Jewish space based on core Jewish values. That's what his wording was. I don't know how he defined it. I I don't understand what he meant. Uh, He said, uh, I believe, and my gut tells me, that what Jewish people in this country, the United States, want is to know that there's a sanctuary that's a safe and sustainable place that the Jews can call home. We are opposed to the idea, I, I think he said, is an exist, existential part of debate that Israel should be preserved as a state for the Jewish people, unquote. This is all double talk. I have no idea. I, I read this. I had uh, under, I had no idea what he meant. The um, should Israel be the state of the Jewish people? Should be a homeland? How are these things defined? The uh, and it's interesting that last month, at the, the uh, when Amnesty International report was was made available, it was denounced. And in fact, the Regional Cooperation Ministry, uh, a member of Israel's cabinet, his name is Samuel Fried. He's an Arab member uh, of the Israeli Knesset. He's not only a, an Arab, but he's a member of the left-wing Meretz Party, and he declared that Israel has many problems that must be solved inside the Green Line and certainly in the occupied territories, but Israel is not an apartheid state. This is what an Arab member of our Knesset said. In the, Ameri- in the United States... The House majority leader called the report a gross mischaracterization of Israel, of Israel's history and its values, and a State Department spokesman named Ned Price warned against applying double standards to Israel. Most Jewish organizations also rejected this almost 300-page report, but uh, it's, it, this fellow... Um, O'Brien, who's not Jewish, uh, he he said that he seems to be hoping that by changing the conversation and repeating the apartheid lie enough times, he can create new facts. So uh, they're talking about exploring the Palestinian past and present and future, and Israel's own ancient past, its successful present, and its future as the Jewish state is of less importance to the group. Now, I have no idea what all this double talk means. Now, it's interesting that uh, in a separate report uh, published over the weekend, the Jewish Telegraphic Agency uh, noted that uh, the environmental club called Sierra Club, it's an NGO, has canceled its uh, scheduled trips to Israel in response to pressure from progressive and anti-Zionist group after activists alleged that the organization was greenwashing the conflict and providing legitimacy to the Israeli state, which is engaged in apartheid against the Palestinian people. Uh, this is another example of what happens when the apartheid label is spread. Such efforts don't only harm Israel's image, they cause once respected organizations to lose their credibility and to lose their standing. And above all, they do absolutely nothing to promote peace or to help the Palestinians. So, what's the bottom line from all these organizations? By criminalizing Israel, and ignoring Palestinian anti-normalization and terrorism, these organizations and their progressive activists are encouraging more rejectionism and more terror. The Palestinian Authority will see no reason to make even basic moves toward peace as long as it believes it can erase Israel with progressive Western support. These lies themselves fuel further attacks both on Israelis and on Jews and Jewish targets around the world. The, so the bottom line is this: the apartheid lie is not only a lie, but it's also a dangerous one. It causes a lot of organizations who are simply unaware of or choose to ignore the history of what's happening here in in the in the Jewish state. They ignore these things and they accuse Israel of all kinds of things. And of the of course the idea the word apartheid is one they love, since there was an apartheid regime in South Africa from 1948 until around, until the government changed hands and became more liberal in the 1990s, the word apartheid has become a, a almost a curse word. It's something you use to blame other people or other countries, and particularly Israel. So you have a large number of uh, groups who don't uh, educate their peace people about the real facts in the Middle East, the history of the Middle East, the history of Israel's wars of survival. People know nothing of these things. They only know that as a result of the Six Day War, Israel took over a lot of land that formerly had been held by, uh, particularly by Jordan, and now Israel is stuck with a large uh, Arab population. Which reminds me, by the way, I saw something very interesting. I happened to be uh, in the uh, Hadassah Hospital in uh, Jerusalem earlier this week, and there were a very large number of Arab employees, either helpers or doctors or various medical assistants, and I was being treated for something minor, and one of the assistants was a young Arab lady, and I noticed wearing around her neck, she was wearing a necklace, and on the necklace, she had a uh, sort of an icon showing the entire state of Israel as being part of Palestine. So there's something subtle going on there, also. Uh, thanks again for listening. Until next time, take care of yourselves, and happy tour.
0: Hi, this is Chava Dax, and I'm calling for the rolling hills of Malaya Dumin, just north of Jerusalem. I always listen to Israel News Talk Radio to get all the latest news and commentary and to keep me up to date every day. This is Sarah Da from Malaya Dumin, and I'm twelve. I wish Israel News Talk Radio was boring so my mom wouldn't listen to it all the time. Mom!